This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. No mai whakaronga mai ki te Aotai Whenua. Welcome to Country Life. I'm Sally Round. Great to have your company. I'm Duncan Smith. Today we're at a mid-Canterbury farm where September means sowing. We look at how scientists and tangata whenua are in a race against time to save native trees under threat from myrtle rust. And get ready for lots of bleating. We're at a lamb rescue centre which has been very busy after the wet winter. But first to a roundup of the week's news from our rural news team, Sally Murphy's in Ōtutahi Christchurch, and some good news for dairy farmers out of Canada. Yes, after blocking imports of our dairy products, Canada has been told it's been breaking international trading rules and needs to stop. An independent panel has ruled Canada has been improperly using dairy quotas to keep out exports and to protect its own powerful domestic industry. The government says this has cost us about $120 million over the last three years. Kimberly Cruther of the Dairy Companies Association of New Zealand told us she hopes Canada makes the necessary changes without delay. It's important that they um, reform their system and in reforming their system come fully into compliance. So Canada has uh, a history on dairy issues of seeking to create rules that restrict the access. This time they need to do the right thing. It's the first complaint made under the rules of the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or the CPTPP, and the first time New Zealand has taken a case under any free trade agreement. Yes, and just on dairy, some relief for farmers at the Global Dairy Trade Auction this week. Yes, it's the first time in four months that international milk prices have risen. The all-important whole milk powder price rose 5.3%. But not such good news around wool. No, Merino has been the shining light of the wool industry for the past few years, but the New Zealand Merino Company's profit has taken a fall. It's reported a net profit after tax of $1.7 million for the year to June. That's a 61% drop on the year before. And you're hearing that after months of heavy rain, Sally, Tetairafiti is likely in for a hot, dry spring. That's right. Niwa's latest forecast shows rainfall, soil moisture and river levels are likely to be below average. That's being welcomed by farmers and growers who have been struggling with ongoing rain since Cyclone Gabrielle hit back in February. Leader Brands Richard Burke says it would be a return to business as usual, but with replenished water supplies. For our business, we operate much better in dry conditions because we can plan what we want to do. We can manage things a lot better. Um, We have irrigation available for the crops that we need it. Um, And I'm not saying, hey, it's all great that we have no rain, but uh, a dry period for us is something that we would really look forward to. Now, it's hoped more international doctors will fill jobs in rural practices. Yeah, that's because of new funding. Doctors applying to work rurally can now access a relocation allowance. Grant Davidson of the Rural Health Network, Heora Taifenua, told us the extra money should make New Zealand more competitive in the global labour market. The money is now available as of 1st of September and currently it runs through until June next year. The general practice who are, who's bringing the doctor in will need to make application for the money for the relocation costs and the uh, doctor coming in needs to be coming to New Zealand for a minimum of two years. So a permanent position and they'll be bonded for that period. Now Sally, the Spring Sheep Company has found a way of making use of surplus lambs from its milking operation. 
Yes, it has a lot of them. The company has 17,500 milking sheep on 17 farms across the North Island. Chief Operations Officer Thomas MacDonald told us for the first time this year, over two-thirds of the milking ewes were mated with a Suffolk ram, good for producing lambs needed by meat processors. He says this will boost the emerging lamb rearing industry, very similar to calf rearers in the dairy cow system. What we have the ability to do is provide single origin uh, lambs and so these lambs from one farm with a known biosecurity record and then they've got the ability to rear that up and, and take it through their system and finish it off. He says they're also investigating a system where lambs are fed by the ewe. Mr McDonald says this is common in France and while harder to apply here, there is merit in doing it and early work shows lambs can be off their mums within a month or so. Now Northland peanut trials are back on track after a washout of last year's crops. They are. The three-year project is to see whether Northland can become the new home to commercially grow in peanuts. Northland Inc. project manager Greg Hall says results from the first year looked promising, so they're keen to continue after last year's hiatus. The trials cover five hectares across five sites in Kaipara and the far north. He says new seed has just landed in New Zealand and will be planted soon. Uh, so these have come out from the, um, Georgia and the US. So the full Spanish variety short season cultivars, which is similar to what we uh, imported from the first year out of uh, India. The very first season, there was, even though a very small trial plot, that was indicating around somewhere between three and six tonnes per hectare, which is on average to what Australia produces. Greg Hall says some peanuts produced two seasons ago had higher nutritional value than the same nut grown overseas. What's the story with green crosses on farm gates which people might have noticed? Well, primary producers are putting them up to show support for those working in food production. A group called Your Food Producers NZ is encouraging farmers to support each other as many feel their image has become tarnished in recent times. Glen Murray sheep and beef farmer Bruce Cameron first saw the crosses on a trip to Germany and brought the concept back to New Zealand. Dairy farmer Rosemary Costa says it's not as aggressive a protest as driving diesel tractors into cities. I mean, everyone has their own, their right to protest however they like, but it was important to us. We're talking about emissions, so driving big machinery around, in this case, didn't make a lot of sense. So it just, it just appealed to us that it was very non-offensive to anyone. Ms Costa says the group supports guidelines to improve environmental outcomes as long as they're workable. And finally, Sally, listeners have no doubt heard about lab-grown meat, but you've been reporting on scientists trying to grow fruit in labs. Yes, this is an interesting one. Scientists at Plant and Food Research have been running some trials working with cells from blueberries, apples, cherries, feijoas, peaches, nectarines and grapes. They want to see if fruit can be grown without the need for trees or bushes. One of the researchers, Ben Shon, says it's still early days, but some big breakthroughs have been made, with clusters of fruit cells being grown in the lab. We're looking at cellular horticulture as a way to produce food, being able to grow just the edible part of the plant. So really having the, the ultimate in controlled environment growing, I guess, taking cells from plant, growing those cells in the lab or in a, in a system where we can multiply them and, and control them, and in the end producing something that's delicious, fresh, like a piece of fruit. Ben Sean admits the lab-grown cells don't taste that great yet, so there's plenty more work left to do. Thanks, Sally. Country Life, bringing you the sounds and voices of rural New Zealand. Spring is a busy time for Tim Cookson, a fourth-generation farmer at Pinewoods, a 700-hectare property near Hororata in mid-Canterbury. To find out about the farm and how the season's going, Cosmo Kentish Barnes dropped in and found Tim in the farmyard. We're a mixed cropping farm, so running dairy heifers and wintering cows, but we also uh, do some winter lambs, and we also uh, grow quite an area of different crops as well, arable crops. Mm. And we are standing beside a sheep pen now and you've got the last of your, your lambs that are about to be sold. The, these lambs are going to uh, Colgate sale yards this year. Um, the lambs have actually done really, really well this year. 
probably the best we've ever had. I'm not sure why, yeah. but they have. And they're actually too big to go to the freezing works. Uh, if they do, we get, we'll get penalised. So these are off to Colgate. And I'm actually quite pleased that this is the last of them because the winter trading lamb thing for cropping farmers this year is uh, not, not going to be very exciting. Why do cropping farmers like to have lambs on paddocks over the winter? Well, primarily they have them there as a management tool to graze their ryegrass seed crops through the winter and, and early spring before the crops are closed. And it actually, it's a tool to maximise the yield of the seed crop. But the, the other thing is that over the last few years, um, it's actually become a pretty important part of the farming system from a financial point of view you know like the guys have you know made good money on on these um, winter lambs but that's not going to happen this year there'll be quite a few cropping farmers will either make nothing or probably even lose money on on winter lambs this year Mm. a tough year in general for for farmers isn't it yeah the next 12 months are going to be tough you know we know the dairy payout for the coming year is, is going to be down. Uh, the pricing for lamb is, is not looking good. Grain crops, the price on grain is coming back, so arable farmers are, are, are going to get hit too. So, yeah, right across the board. Mm-hmm. Wool's disastrous. Wool is disastrous, yeah. Like these, these lambs here in front of us have, have got probably a couple of kilos of wool on them, and we're just selling them as is because if I get them in and share them, I'll get a bill back for the privilege, so we'll leave it on there. They are really big lambs. When does a lamb cease to be a lamb? When does a lamb become a sheep? Basically it's defined by when their two adult teeth pop through, so these ones haven't yet, but could easily be in another another month or so their, their two teeth come through, and at that point they're no longer a lamb, but they then turn into an adult sheep and, and are classified as as mutton, and of course the price is, is a whole lot less. So that's another good reason to get rid of them. Yeah. You know, if they're ready to go like these ones are, they they uh, they need to go. Now, um, cropping-wise, what has gone into the ground so far this spring? Yeah, so this spring, uh, so far we've planted all our spring barley. That, w- that went in last week that's uh, following all our uh, winter feed crops. We have got a couple of areas that we weren't able to plant there because it's just paddocks are still a bit wet, but we might be able to get back in there. There's only like another two or three hectares to do, but we'll try and get that tidied up as well um, in the next day or so. And in the next couple of weeks, we've got some hybrid radish and some spinach being planted. And then after that, we're into some forage crops of fodder beet and kale for uh, winter feed for 2024. And then probably lastly will be um, maize for silage, which will be early November. Mm. Yeah. Do you contract to drill barley for Gladfield malt? Yes, I do, yeah. No, I've been growing um, malting barley for Doug and Gabby at Gladfield malt for five or six years now. So what sort of barley is that, and do you have to treat it a bit differently to normal barley? Yeah, we do. The variety we grow is uh, Laureate, and you've just got to watch the protein level in the grain, because if the protein level in the grain is too high, basically what happens is the beer is cloudy, and the brewers don't like cloudy beer. Well, no one likes cloudy beer, so anyway... um, That sounds like my home brew. Yeah, yeah, so... (laughs) So there's that and there's a few other specifications that we have to work to, but other than that, it's, it's good. Yes. Yeah. And you've been doing some pest control this winter. What have you been targeting? Well, we've, you know, we've always had hares and a few rabbits and that sort of thing. And I started going down the farm early in the morning and, and I'd see the odd wild cat. And we've started planting a lot of natives here on farm just to make it look a bit better. And, you know, if we can get a few more birds around and... I can see heaps of natives across the paddock there. Yep, yep, yep. So, you know, and that's all good. And I thought, well, righto, if, if we're going to do all this stuff when we want the birds to hang around, we've got to have a look at all these things that deal to the birds. And anyway, I, I noticed a few wild cats. So I bought a cage 
and um, started trapping wild cats. And in the first seven days, I caught six cats, which blew me away because I thought I was seeing the same cat every morning. But obviously not. So, um, yeah, in, in the last 12 months, we've trapped 20-something cats and a few hedgehogs and possums. And, yeah, I had no idea there was that many cats here. And, Tim... Is the conflict in Ukraine having an impact on local cropping farmers? Well, yeah, there's a a whole lot of things happening out there in the big wide world at the moment and some things are pulling things one way and other things are pulling it in the opposite direction. And how things pan out is anyone's guess. So, like last year was a bit of a classic. The Ukraine war put a huge amount of pressure on global fertiliser trading and production. So that meant that our fertiliser pricing went through the roof, which was uh, pretty tough because it's it's pretty hard. You know, you can't we can't farm without it really. You know, you can't grow seed crops and and crops of barley and wheat and all that sort of stuff without fertiliser. You can probably, but your yields would be half. Oh. And and if if we did that, we're we're gone. So, like it or lump it, that's what it is. So, and then the other thing, uh, because Ukraine weren't able to export wheat, that boosted the global wheat price, so the price of wheat shot up. Oh. Now, is Russia going to keep allowing Ukraine to export a bit of wheat out of there at the moment? It's anyone's guess. So, we just have to um, stick to the things that we can control and do that and to try and do them as good as we can. And Try not to watch the news too much and look at all that negative stuff. Mm. And with the election coming up, what are your thoughts in terms of the next few years? Have you got um, some opinions on what you'd like to see happen? I, I have got some opinions. <laughs> Funny you ask that. Yeah, no, look, I, I'd just like to see a, a government that is actually interested in, in agriculture and actually interested in, in business because, like it or lump it, New Zealand is a trading nation and, and we're, we're always going to be, we're going to be, you know, export-based and agriculture-based. And that's not going to change. So we need whoever's in power to actually support us and actually allow us to compete globally, you know, with, with our competitors. Um, that, that's, that's, what, you know, that, that's what we want. Tim Cookson there talking to Cosmo at his mixed arable farm near Hororata in Canterbury. To Rotorua now, where the race is on to save Nahiri, or forest, from a creeping fungal disease. Leah Tebbit caught up with some of those working on the Myrtle Rust project, starting with Daryl Heron of the Crown Research Institute, Scion. So today we find ourselves on a beautiful day actually, it's actually quite sunny today, uh, in the Scion Nursery. Uh, We're here in a a research nursery standing outside one of our new growth tunnels. Uh, This is quite a sophisticated piece of equipment really. Uh, It's fully automated, Uh, it's been set up to help monitor temperature, humidity, sunlight intensity, wind speed and these growth houses uh, help regulate that. And what is so special inside this nursery that that we're wanting to restore and protect? In this project, we're looking at conserving some of our Tonga species, and that includes here uh, Rahutu and Rama Rama. We've collected a number of cuttings uh, from the forest with our uh, Rotuiti 15 partners. From the mother trees, we've brought those cuttings here to Science Nursery. They're housed here. We're basically coaching them through, trying to get them to a a larger size uh, where we'll be able to do further work in terms of our conservation and the breeding aspect. So what was the reason behind doing all of this and why are those trees the ones that you're focusing on? This project is about conserving uh, Tonga species that I mentioned and that's protecting them against a disease, fungal disease which came into New Zealand in 2017, uh, myrtle rust. Myrtle rust uh, threatens the the health of many myrtle species here in New Zealand. Some of the most impacted species are Rahutu and Ramarama. We've got small populations of these individuals in the area, um, which makes them very difficult to manage because there's not many of them to protect. Uh, So what we do have here and why we're using a conservation strategy and and a propagation strategy like this is to create more individuals and part of the project will be looking at identifying some resistance or, or actually tolerance to myrtle rust. 
individuals that have no symptoms or very little symptoms will be those individuals that we carry on through the breeding program. It's almost like to... you've just got an ecosystem, eh? Like yes. out of the ground. And <laughs> so what we end up trialing with this cutting, um, or these cutting trials, these conservation trials, uh, was trying to come up with different ways we could actually collect cutting material. And the one that I'm showing you right here, where you've just basically got this ecosystem growing, is what Tirata um, Fakamaru, our Titira team, had actually um, observed in the field. And that was this natural layering process where the tree you'd have a stem and they would just collapse down into the forest, um, get covered up by you know any, all of the other detritus there, and they would start to shoot. And we, we started to see trees growing up, and we actually thought that they were different individuals, but they actually belonged to the same mother tree. So in this case, yeah, we've actually taken the same thing. We've taken branches that we've um, collected, laying them down here in the dirt, covered them up, and then just, just seeing what happens. And you can actually see like little leaves starting to come out. Those are all of the little lofomotors starting to shoot through, the come, come through from the actual branches. Yeah. So those weren't actual cuttings we took from the trees. It's actually just the, the, a branch that was um, collected from the forest. Yeah. That was the misting that, that you were talking about. Yes. Keeping them all moist. Yeah, so it keeps the humidity high, uh, keeps the plants cool, um, and makes sure that there's constant moisture so they don't dry out. And you see it's very short. And how does the myrtle rust affect the tree species, I guess, on a, on mm. a broad scale? So this disease is quite savage in a way because it attacks a lot of the new growth, the new flush. Um, and with the new flush is also flowers and fruits. So it goes after those reproductive structures. Uh, so that can hamper uh, new development. So seeds actually ending up in the ground. Uh, if you don't have fruits uh, that can make the whole way through, uh, you lose that seed, so you won't have young uh, young trees coming through. And the new growth that comes helps the trees grow bigger. And if they die every year, the trees start to stunt, and eventually they actually uh, succumb to the infection. So they produce all that energy to grow new new tips, and, and it just keeps dying back, dying back, and the trees give up, and then they eventually die. I would too, I think, <laughs> after wasting all my energy on Trying that. Trying to do that, you? exactly. <laughs> yeah. But in the same vein, have you noticed already within that sort of time frame where you've been analysing it, the impact that myrtle rust has had on those species? Yes. Every year we've started to see more and more trees get affected by myrtle rust. Um, some trees have died as well. And also the levels of the lakes that the forests surround. The water table in the lake is sort of drowning some of those trees too, so you're That's not able right. to find the new saplings That's as you right. normally would. We, the, at Lake Rotoma, the lake level is incredibly high. A lot of our transects and where these trees uh, reside are actually pretty close to the lake edge. And since the levels have gone quite up we actually cut off from those transects so we haven't been able to monitor them those trees surprisingly are still alive but yes it will affect exactly like you say the where seedlings are going to end up any seed that falls into water is not going to germinate so that has impacted those populations quite drastically it's almost critical that you're doing something with the myrtle rust and the water table sort of ruining the opportunity for new seedlings to grow this is the perfect timing really to conserve those populations because if they are either killed by the the water or, or myrtle rust if we find any kind of tolerance here in these greenhouses uh, we can reintroduce them back into the nahiri as Daryl mentioned, this program is working in partnership with local iwi-based trust Rotswiti 15. While Sion is working scientifically, all of the cuttings in the nursery have been collected by those under Rotswiti 15. And as it turns out, this project has enabled the growth of more than just trees. My name is Kawana Warahi. I'm a manukura, uh, which is a supervisor I supervise a team of, we call them Ho Middle Middle, so we have Māori names. Manukura is the leader of a flock. Ho Middle Middle are the sharp eyed tomtit. They're our, our team who go out there to help monitor the trees out there. So they're our sharp eyes, <laughs> and, and we're the flock leaders. When it was first introduced to us by our, our manager of Rotu 15, we talked about um, 
there were lots of things really one was about tile and two about people so when she came to talk to me it was about an opportunity to one help some of our younger iwi members develop in an area of tile which is um, science mm. i've got a team of mostly younger in their 20s mostly young men young males and so i thought it was a great opportunity one for me to i guess work in a different field that i was two to work with some of our young people from home and three to learn about our tile and science it was a win for me win for the iwi and gave me those opportunities to be around the right people and also to, to i guess share that information with some of our young um, maori males out there you know who just need a little bit of guidance and um, role modeling and we do our best you know um, we know no one's perfect but we do our best in um definitely try to help them I guess too to to think about their futures where they want to go from this because we all know that the project ends in a year I guess the big question for for all the other hall middle middle is what what do they want to do what what else do they want to get out of this I mean you can you know you can guide yeah but they still have to meet you halfway so it's it's about empowering them as well to make decisions for themselves I love that like not only is it giving almost opportunity for the viability of these tree species but the opportunity for those that care for them as well and and seek you know reward from them Exactly, and it's just really funny because when I actually think about the job, to me the job is about people, and not just the people we work with, but mana whenua, because the land we work on is is a connection to our iwi. You know, so it's 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 wonderful to look after our trees, and it's wonderful to do everything in our nahiri, but it, it's bigger than that, mm. and the people are, are the land, and we are one. So it's really important that when we nurture the trees, we also nurture our rangatahi, um, that are working in the trees so that mm. they build that passion and that passion will go home to their tamariki, their children and hopefully they, they'll share that passion when they go into the forest and, mm. and it's all about looking after our environment and bigger picture, not just our nahiri, our whole environment mm. you know, making our whole environment better for all of us I'm thinking about how you're talking about the people are the land but also how the land is helping the people by just being in and amongst it, right? Yes. You must have seen a noticeable change in those that you're working with by being out in the oh, forest. Definitely, just the passion for our, our nahiri and I guess, um, yeah, I, I can't separate them but when I see our young ones in the in the bush and they a year ago they were walking around not really paying attention to now I'm working at the back and they'll say hey Matua see that tree that tree is a you see this leaf Matua you know I know this leaf is this leaf do you know why that tree's not growing you know do you know hey did you even notice that these these trees are layered which is how we started developing the layered technique in there it was come comes from our lots of our young ones who have observed those you know and, and so I'm watching them develop and yeah. it must be incredible though to like obviously the work that you're doing and the observations you're making are critical but to then really see how critical it is and to see the the success of of your observations in a nursery setting it must be so empowering for everyone right yeah no it is it's amazing but I guess for me I've got to go back to I'm more amazed at the development of my young ones I love the trees and I love what we do but I love seeing them how they grow in that space with those trees you know and and they take it personally like they'll come back and go oh that, one of our trees have died you know it's not growing I don't know why and instead of just leaving it at that they'll go and they'll get out a book and I'll try and figure out why it didn't work and then they'll come back down here and they'll try a different strategy you know to me that's that's great you know that, that sort of you know, brings the tear to my eye because that's Oh, you wouldn't have seen that a year ago. You know, it's a whole different shift in their attitude and their mindset. It's now, what's happening to our trees? Why is, didn't that work? Why is that one working? And so they're asking those critical questions. And then they've got the skills now to ask somebody. You know, they know all the experts here they can go and ask. But they also know how to research now. So they know which books to go to and, and what questions to ask and what questions mm. to answer and then they can transfer that back into the nursery to you know it's amazing. I also spoke to John Cunningham another team leader or manukura as Kawana explained about the importance of this project from a te ao Māori perspective. I, I believe as a, as a people we have to get back in uh, into the nahere and, and learn about because all these trees and that we, we, we see every day have Māori names 
they have tikanga behind it. What our, how our ancestors used these plants in the medicinal purposes, this is something that we, we um, need, need to get back to as a people. I always maintain that the wānana, uh, the forest is our first wānana. Hey, you out there listening to the birds, giving the names to birds and, and our trees and our rivers and lakes. So this is something that we as, as New Zealanders have to uphold the health and well-being of our nature and our taiao uh, for ourselves today, most, most definitely, but for future, for everyone's future, not, not just Māori. The greatest thing about this job is uh, going out there and uh, making our friends and family aware of where we live and, and, and the beauty of our, our, our nahere and our whenua. John Cunningham. And you also heard from Kawana Warahi and Sion's Daryl Heron. The project is focused at the Bay of Plenty at the moment, but it's hoped its findings will be used around the country. Hi, it's Jess here from Dreamview Creamery. We sell milk in reusable glass bottles. You're listening to Country Life, RNZ National. It's lambing season, and it's been a tough one in many parts of the country after the very wet winter. Country Life is taking you now to a lamb rescue centre, run by Jackie Friedrichs, with help from her husband Terry. It's her seventh season raising lambs at their small farm in Wairarapa. She started out bottle feeding her own orphaned lamb, and it grew from there. The farm started off, um, we bought it in 2016, uh, we moved in 2016. It was an old farm, and um, they didn't farm as much as um, have horses. So what you see here, which is stables now, has turned into the lambery. It's fairly close to the house, um, and I can leave them here, I can hear them here, I can walk at night and do the 10 o'clock feed and the 11 o'clock feed, which I soon figured out I didn't have to do. Um, but it's close to home. So if we go inside, um, we're going to have to do some feeding a little later. Um, we've got these five babies inside here. So you just had a delivery last night. Do you get a delivery most, most days? Most days we do at the moment. I, I do pray for a day not to have a delivery, just to get a bit of a break and to catch up. But let alone, you'll always have one that comes in. So this is, it's kind of tiny at the moment because this used to be the tack room which I've now turned into my... Feeding room, feeding room. by the look of yes. things. Bottles yes. everywhere, milk Bottles. on the go. Yes, milk, yes. Microwave, <laughs> fridge, everything is here. Um, the cleaning stuff, it's all set and packed away. I've got my list of babies, so I know exactly who I have, oh where I have them and how long they are. We're looking at a whiteboard here. A whiteboard here with all the babies on. So you can see we're on 75. 76 is just about to arrive. So 88 was my limit last year. We're going to go over 100 easy this year. Very, very easily. So um, Now, do all these babies have names or are they numbers? They, they are numbers because I, I run out of names at times. But if someone gives me a baby with a name, it stays. So um, we've got uh, Lacey. Um, there is also Beyonce and Bryn. Uh, Sage came in. Um, Ida came in. Ida's down here somewhere. I know who Ida is. Um, Stevie, little Stevie came in. And then they, were, they have their names. But you do farmers bring them in or do you go and no, pick I them up? I go and pick them up. I go and pick them up. There are a couple of lifestyle guys who want to know where their babies have gone to. So they're welcome to come and have a look. And then they see this and they say, that's all right, they can stay. As soon as they come in, they'll go into here, which is the, the uh, little nursery um, area. So, and and, and that's got a heat lamp, hasn't it? Has, they all have. There's a heat lamp there, heat lamp there, heat lamp there. There'll be a heat lamp next door. So I put them in here for the day so they know that this is home, that they don't have to worry oh, about it's anything. nice and soft um, in here. Lots of lovely fresh straw. Yep, that's all being put down. Then um, I will feed them off the bottle feeders over there, which they've done there. So I, Bottle feeders all yeah, lined so up, all the, tacked yeah. onto a piece of wood. Yep, absolutely. And I try and get them to feed straight away by themselves, but... You can see how tiny those ones are. This little one over here. <laughs> and my number 35, he's sleeping somewhere down over there. He's really tiny. He can't even reach that. You've got a little black so. one over there too. Yes, we have. A uh, black Wiltshire. Now, I have lots of little dams cuddling around my knees. Because it's nearly feeding time. 
That's why. So, They're all um, getting tangled up in my microphone. Oh, yes, they will eat everything and anything that uh, is in there. In there now, Jackie, they're wearing little jackets with numbers on them. I do that simply so I know if there's someone sick, I can spot him out straight away, or someone not doing well, I can spot it straight away. I don't have to go picking up every single baby to see if they are right or not. I know who's new, I know who's not. Pink are girls, blue are boys, um, and then they go in size from there. They've got pink dots or blue dots. Yes. And these little jackets, tell me about them. Um, the, I just, you don't need to have them on, but these little guys don't have a mom anymore. Yes, they are warm in here, but it makes me feel better that, they, that they're wearing them. And as long as it makes me feel better, then they feel better. They're made so, of felted wool? No, 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 this is wool. Um, but it's also in when you have to try and catch the little buckets who end up running away. And when you have to pick up two or three at a time, they make a perfect uh-huh. handbag. <laughs> so <laughs> they do. Because um, sometimes you have to pick up a few at, at a time and you just can't do it. So it's How easy. many and can you pick up at one time? I can do six. But um, we know. <laughs> three in each hand. Three in each hand. Lily. Are you hungry, darling? You are. Now you say that you're getting more this year than normal. Why is that? Um, farmers have a lot to worry about at the moment. And looking after these little guys, which is a 24-7 job, they just don't have the time. So they actually really, I, I was actually quite surprised because two of them have said to me, we are so pleased that you are here because we just don't have the time. We've got other things to worry about. There's no grass. There's too much water. There's, there's no food. Lambs are dying so quickly. So um, it's, it's really hard this year. We've had a wet 18 months. Um, you walk on the, you walk on, I mean, the grass looks like it's growing, but you can actually see it's got a slightly yellow tinge and it is really short because the animals are eating as much as they can. Um, we are supplying all our animals with um, extra food at the moment. So the, the farms are sort of happy to let me take them um, because it's um, less for them to worry about at the moment. And it's, if I can help them, that's great. And I just, I just love them. I, at the end of every season, I'm saying I'm never doing this again. It was terrible and it's such so hard work and you get so little sleep. And then June next year, I think myself, okay, right, I'll start getting ready. And I get all excited because lambing season starts again. And then I get uh, eight months, uh, eight weeks into it. I think myself, oh my God, how much longer do I have to go now? But every time someone picks up a phone and says, here's a baby, I say, I'll be there to pick it up. It's fine. And when you see something like that, you just think to yourself, why not? Do you often get the smallest yep. triplet? Uh, absolutely. Hence why those ones are so small. I get a, a, a lot of the triplets. And uh, there's a lot of people who don't think that they will survive. So, um, And we know that they're going to be small. We know it. But all because you're small doesn't mean you aren't allowed another chance. So they, they actually get even more care from me. And you talked about orphans. So the ewes have died? Uh, no, well, not, no, not all. Uh, sometimes the ewe just walks away. Um, the, uh, and that's what happens with um, like the triplet. They always say it's much better to take the triplet away. And it is because mom's only got two teats. We've got a mom who's, who actually is looking all, after all three of her babies very well at the moment. But we're keeping a constant eye on that because one of the babies is not going to do as well. She can give them all the colostrum that they need. We can take over from them. So we don't run and go and grab straight away if we don't have to. But sometimes mom just decides, no, not mine. I don't want it. Don't want to do it. So, um, and a lot of these, um, I'm, yeah. As we said this year, a lot of moms really didn't make it because of the weather. Their feed comes through the heatwave system, which is which is one of the systems we have here. So all I do is I put the milk in here. And that's a box? Yep. That's, a, that's a, a sort of a tub there? Yeah, it's just a huge tub. And you, you've huge, invented this yourself? No, no, no. This one we bought. Uh-huh. The, the one we invented is next door. <laughs> we'll go and see that one in a minute. That was our first attempt at uh, Adlock beading. Um, this goes through hot water and then goes down, and these babies get warm milk all the time. So tubes are feeding there down into the individual little bottles and the yep. teats coming out. Once they come in, I will feed them for two days on, um, on colostrum, and I'll personally feed them myself, and then we'll bring them onto here. And is the milk flowing constantly? Yes, it's, it's, uh, as they suck, so it'll come through the machine, up here, into the water, and then into the tubes. So, and it's, it's kept warm all the time, and then they'll start eating. You want some? Come. So this is the way I usually teach them, is they know my fingers. So slowly now, and then you'll see them all rushing. And then I normally put them on a teat, and away they go. And then we'll all fight for one teat, even though we have three teats. 
their teeth there's someone else on is always better hey darling here we go you go in that one so this is um, my little kindy and my um my grade one school we've got lots of little pens coming off the, the tack room the doors are open they're wandering in and out as they wish they're, as they like so i've just moved these guys this morning because there were just too many in there and they've gone to a very similar thing next door now. My goodness, and there are a whole load of other lands. <laughs> yes, there are plenty of other lands to go. Um, so they'll have that, and they'll have the green grass and the area so they can wander down there. And then these guys are even older, so I've moved them up into sort of like high school. So we've gone to high school, and they're also very similar sort of thing, just slightly larger. They, I try and keep them to the same age group, because then they all move along together, and it makes things a little easier for me. Uh, to control so they've got that section there and they also start eating grass and they also start drinking water so that section's uh, upgrade they get water too so but they're also on an ad lib system where they feed when they want and they've eaten on their own and they're now lying in the and, sun and how old are those ones these here are uh, almost two weeks old so they're good these are just a few days and maybe one or two in a week old and the ones over there we'll go to, up to the top barn that that barn is my new um favorite barn <laughs> that is a no work barn and i love it but the babies are doing really well and how old are those babies uh anything from a month down to two weeks so once they've uh, learned how to drink water here or learn to move on to grass they'll go into the big they barn. graduate they graduate up to university now university is fun if we want to go back the other uh, i think we can go back this way one question i have is where do you get the colostrum from um, I sometimes get it from um, a farmer who is happy to give it to me from his cows. Otherwise, I buy the Jumpstart, which is also colostrum, which I mix with the cow's milk. So we, I use our girls. Um, hopefully, one of them will calve very soon, so I'll have extra milk. Um, but I've also got a farmer who very kindly gives me um, some of their cow's milk as well. So. Cow's colostrum is okay for lambs? It is. Um, I like to dilute it, though, because it's very thick. And for them to suck through it is, is actually hard work for them. And explain for those who aren't in the know what, how important colostrum is. Oh, colostrum is vitally important. Last year I was only giving them uh, one day's colostrum and uh, realised they weren't growing and um, as healthy as what they should have been. And I learned two days colostrum is vitally important. It um, actually involves their inside, it creates their internal organs, their stomach, it, it rounds their rumen, it makes it very healthy for them to then nibble on grass and look after everything else that goes with it. So um, my husband's just arrived with a new baby, so we'll go and meet my husband. Hi, another one. Another baby. Hmm? Is that Andrew? So Andrew's got a name. <laughs> Hello baby, how old Hi, is he? Andrew. Day or two. He's a day or two. Okay, so where did he come from? He came from one of our. Actually, it was one of the first uh, uh, people that we got him from. Oh, the uh, the first orphans this year. This is their last of the year. Oh, is the last one? Well, so they got they got five years left to learn, but this is probably the last this one. This will be the last one of the year. And he's obviously eaten because his tummy's a bit full. So we'll um, we'll just stick him down in the corner over there, and I'll actually lock him in to make sure he doesn't do a runner. Um, just let him get used to where he is and what he's doing. Terry, uh, what do you think of Jackie's passion for... She's mad. She's stark raving mad. <laughs> honesty. We love honesty. <laughs> Truly. Yeah, she's, she's nuts. She's yeah, nuts. It's, it's and everyone thinks she's nuts. But hey, she does yeah. a job. You do a lot uh, of the picking up and dropping off. And, yeah, and, and the, all the building. And, and all the building and the, and the fixing and the making. And uh, yeah, it's, it's all, all a bit of... Uh, a try and error. It is try and error. But you know, it's, it's, it's more, you learn really quickly what doesn't work and what does work. And, th and that's what's happened with us. So um, we'll go up to the, upper, the, the top barn over there and we'll show you why we learn every year very quickly. Terry, um, can I ask you, were you, were you farming in Zimbabwe? Uh, yeah, well, I, I grew up on a ranch, so it's slightly different. Uh, a, a very large cattle ranch. Now, there, there, there we had uh, vast areas of, of bush and um, very little, very little uh, uh, green. So it is, it's very different. And you're breeding wiltshires. Uh, yeah, uh, wiltshires is, is our is our new our new thing. We don't have to share them. They they clean. They're easy. They tame. Um, they're quiet. They're quiet. Very quiet. Yeah, so. and um, it's the so it's the way of the future. Yeah, if you don't have to share them, and um, that's the big problem now.
And will these lambs, will they go on to be part of your flock? Not all of them. Um, some, there's actually a lady coming to pick up some on Saturday. She wants little ones for her lifestyle block, so I'm happy to let her choose what she wants to take. Um, the wilchers we get in, which we do get quite a couple in, we keep for ourselves. Um, and then, yeah, we do send some off to the market because if I can recoup a third of my costs, it would be silly if I don't because um, it's a really expensive exercise. Expensive, so. A very expensive hobby. <laughs> a very expensive hobby, yes. <laughs> so, because it's exactly what it's—it's it's a labour of love. This, we, you know, we don't do it for money. It's—it's um, it's not a business. It, it must be a twenty-four-hour job almost. Yes, four months a year, 20, 24 hours a day. Because once they go out of the big barn, then they go into the fields. So then we have to, to actually drive around and then feed them morning and afternoon and evening. Two weeks later, morning and evening. Two weeks later, just in the morning. And we just try and let them go from there. Do you find that some of them come in quite sick? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I get ones where the farmers come in and say, it's not going to survive, but yeah, I'm sure you can do your best. And I ha- we have saved so many. And look, there are some that don't, um, sadly. Mm, what's uh, that like for you? Oh, that's heartbreaking for me. <laughs> it's terrible because you try whatever. We picked up one um, two years ago, one of ours. In the wet, in the mud, we found it flat out. It came out and just fell to the floor, and Mom just walked off. And uh, we we came through there, and it was frozen. And I stuck it in a warm bath, um, made sure the the heartbeat was there. And as far as I'm concerned, where there's a heartbeat, there's hope. So I wrapped it up in a warm towel, tightly in a warm towel, and I stuck it under the heat lamp for about 48 hours. It survived. It was one of my one of my huge success stories. I was just. And then I thought to myself, okay, I can do this. And I know that if I, if I can do it and it dies, I tried my best. Um, there's just some that I believe have to go. You know, just Yeah, and what happens to those? Um, they either go to the rose garden or under one of the fruit trees. We recycle compost. And, uh, or otherwise, we, we do have a big pit. We had to. We lost a mom the other day with her babies, which is really heartbreaking. And it, it did. It took me half the day. <laughs> Yeah, I think I care too much. <laughs> and animals, I just, any animal, I hate cruelty to animals. And um, like even that little one over there, is, is, I can see his eye is not right now. So as soon as this is all over, his eye will be sorted out. They get sick, they, they get really down. Um, and that's my best part, I love to cuddle. And they love cuddling. Because they also have a mum. So that affection for them is really good. And I will always find 30 seconds to a minute to cuddle anything. Does it upset you to think that they go to the sale yards and end up? Yes, I I don't. I say they go, they're going to the sale yards. Where they go from there, I don't want to know. These are all two weeks old, uh, two to three weeks old. The ones with the jackets, they've only been popped over today, so they're still new around here. But the ones without the jackets have all, you can see they'll be playing over there, and they'll go and eat grass. Um, They've been out for quite a while. So we put them in this section just to um, let them realise that they're in a new home, and now there's no more heat lamps and nice cosy places. But I do build, I'm going to build another haystack there. I built one over there for them. <laughs> You're having fun making little houses and dens for them. I, I do because they need shelter. You've got um, quite a super duper machine so, there for yeah, making the so, milk. Yeah. So this, all we do now is actually throw the powder in the top. The water comes through at the bottom. It mixes the exact quantity that we needed, and it keeps feeding it all the time. So that noise is just it mixes it. So it keeps mixing it all the time, and then every time it reaches um, this mark over here it refills up by another litre. So it's he- also heated. We can heat it to whatever um, warmth we want the milk. And then it gets fed through. At the moment, we've only got three uh, teats working, but we'll have eight teats working when we move more babies over. And how long do you keep them for? Three, well, all, all the way till weaning. I prefer to keep them for weaning. Um, I so keep that's three months? Three months, yeah. Um, and then we'll just keep them out there until we decide when it's right to go. And if some of them take longer than others, so be it. Um, they're happy and they're healthy. Hello, baby. Every year we do this, we learn something new. And you always have to learn how to do things better and quicker. 
because uh, our first two years was, oh God, yes, we only had, my first year was only 20, my second year was 57. Um, but when you've got 57 babies and you're feeding them all by bottle, it's not easy. Here at the university end of things, yes. uh, there's a little bit of playtime and yes, playthings for them oh, to we have spend a time in. Huge willow tree, um, which they love to climb. Um, but yeah, they have little lamb races here, which is just absolutely too beautiful. And they start on that side and they run and they jump over the tree, then they run around the tree, then they come up here and they run into there, and then they run around here and then all the way back again. And there's all of them. It's, it's like everybody has to do this. And do you find you day. spend a lot of time watching? I spend a lot of time watching, I spend a lot of time videoing, I spend, I just, and then my husband says, um, it's tea time. I'll be there in a minute, I'm just watching this. How has the plunge in lamb prices affected things? Oh, that's, uh, that's why we're not going to make any money. <laughs> that's hence why we're not going to make any money. It's just, it's, it's, it's really sad because um, you can buy our lamb cheaper in the UK than what you get it here. It's ridiculous. That's hence why we know exactly that this year is going to be tough and I'll be very lucky if I make back any money this year but it's, it's not about the money here to be really honest. I know everybody says I'm mad. I gather that. It's, I'm mad it's really your passion isn't it Jackie? Oh, man I just, I just love them. You know, I, I don't know why. I just, I mean when they, when they run and jump and skip and have to kick their back legs out to show that they're all excited. Come on what's better than that? <laughs> Jackie Friedrichs. You also heard from Jackie's husband Terry and of course plenty of lambs at her lamb rescue centre in Wairarapa. Well that's it for Country Life this week. It's been great to have your company. Head over to our webpage for photos and stories and the Country Life archive. The address is rnz.co.nz slash countrylife. And you can also subscribe to Country Life as a podcast. You can find it on any podcast platform. And we love to get your feedback, any story ideas or any comments you'd like to make. Have a great weekend. Atera Wiki. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.